Well, like I said last week, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started with the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And this is something we do every year. We've done it every year since we've opened. And uh, uh, we're going to spend about um, it's seven weeks talking about who we are as a church. And I think that's really important that uh, we, we go over that time and time again so we don't forget. Did you know if, 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 you, if you don't talk about it anymore, you can kind of forget what you're going and what you're all about, and, and you, you drift. You don't mean to drift, but you begin to drift, and you look up, and you're like, man, who are we now? We started with one vision, and now we're something completely different. And I think that's why it's important that we go through this every single year, because we want to, we want to uh, one, there's people here that haven't been here before, so they've never heard it before. So this, this would be great for them to, to have a firmer foundation of who we are and who we intend to be in the Lord um, as a church. Um, also, in Second Peter one thirteen, and he says, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, basically said, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by way of reminder. So you get to look forward to hearing this, as long as I'm alive, every year, the culture of who we are as a church. But, you know, we need to be stirred up by way of reminder of these things. And the reason why it's important, the culture is basically the set of characteristics that define who somebody or a, a certain people group is. It defines who we are. And let me fix this before I go crazy. It's flipping upside down. Praise God. And it's, yeah, it's, it's the characteristics of who we are as a church. And a few weeks ago, we, we started into our, our, our mission statement as a church, and that's to evangelize the lost, to equip the saints, and to empower them to, to step out into their ministry. And this is going to be a, a more... That's, that's our focus of, of, of our mission statement as a church, but this is going to be about who we are as a church. And the first thing that we have to understand as a church is that, that we are a people saved by grace. That's what we teach. That's what we believe here. You can't earn your way into heaven, but we're saved by grace, and it is a free gift of God. And the first step to understanding that this could even be a possibility is to recognize that you are loved and that you are valuable to God. Because that's the first thing that gets in people's way is they're like, does God even know who I am? If God knew who I was, he wouldn't be extending this to me. He wouldn't want me. But the truth is, is you are loved. You are, God loves you so, so very much that he sent his son to die for you. Had you been the only one that would have, been, that would have received the salvation, God would have still did it for you. And we are a people that, that God loves so much. And the reality is, is that, that there's also many, many people that have this idea in their head that, that God is just waiting up there. Like he's the, you know, he's the old man in the, in the toga with the big white beard just waiting for you to mess up so he can throw a bolt of lightning at you or something. Just waiting for you to mess up so you can really get it good. And unfortunately, that's kind of uh, how the TV's portrayed. Have you ever seen how they portray God on television? Man, they just got it all wrong. But he loves us. And he did what he did because he loved us, because he didn't owe it to us. You know, God, God created man, and he made him perfect, and, and man screwed it up. And God could have just said, start all over. But God loved us so much that he, that he took it upon himself to restore us back to the position that he created for us. Also, the other part of salvation that we have to understand is that people saved by grace is that you are 100% brand new the moment that you get saved. You are a new creation in Christ. You are brand new. You're not who you used to be. When you go and see your old friends, they're going to be like, no, that's that's not you. I know you. I went to school with you. And you're like, no, you went to school with somebody else. He's dead. He's gone. He's done with. I am brand new. 
And the last thing to understand about being saved by grace, and we're going to go into much more detail with all this stuff, is that it can't be earned. It is a gift. It is a free gift. There is no way that you can earn salvation. And that's a good thing. Because it seems, it seems kind of rough at first. You're like, man, God, why am I being held accountable for what Adam did thousands of years ago? Why am I being held accountable for what he did? And what that is, that's an egotistical viewpoint right there because we somehow think that in our own power we can live the perfect life for God. When if you just take a, an honest step back, you can see that you've never lived the way you were supposed to live for God. You've never made it. You never could make it. And you would fail. So not, that is not a, a, a curse that we are, we are bound into one man's sin in Adam. It's actually a blessing because that means by one man we can be freed from the sin that we, that we were bound to. That, that by his sacrifice we can be made brand new. And it doesn't have to do with anything about us, anything that we've done. And that's an amazing thing to me because I've done some dumb stuff. And I don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that you guys have done some dumb stuff. Except for my wife. She's perfect. My wife is awesome. She's an angel. See, I have to preach differently when she's out here than when she's in the other room. <laughs> when, she's, when she's in the other room, I can, I can preach like uh, uh, Pastor Ernie Fink when he goes, my wife loves me. <laughs> she loves me so much. She says I'm such a blessing to her. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into it. Let's get started. One, like I said, we have to understand that we are valuable to God. In Luke 12, 6 through 7, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And what he's saying here is that sparrows are valuable to God. And they're worth, he says, you know what, in our society, in our culture, that you can get two of them for a penny. You know, with, with, uh, with, with inflation, I mean, it'd be like a buck and a quarter now for a couple sparrows. But he says that you could, they're, they're cheap. They're not worth anything to us. But God considers them valuable and they're taken care of. He says that not one of them is forgotten before God. And he says, if that's the case, then why are you, don't you think that you are much more valuable than a couple of sparrows to God? As a matter of fact, you know what? You are so valuable to God that the hairs on your head are numbered. That means that he knows everything about you. Because that's how you can tell if something is valuable to somebody, right? Is, is if they care about it. I mean, you know what somebody cares about by if it's valuable to them. I mean, you can tell that, that a, a mom with her kids you, you can tell because they'll do anything for them. They would give up even their, their own life. They would do anything to keep their kids safe and happy and protected. And you can tell that because they're interested in them. They care about them. They'll do anything for them. If you try to hurt a, I mean, you don't want to get on the bad side of a mom if you're trying to hurt their kid because that kid is valuable to them. And they know everything about their kids. They know, you know, the dads will get confused sometimes. You know, we'd be like, which one are you? But moms don't get confused. They know who their kids are. They know everything about them. And God's like that with us. He knows even the number of hairs on your head. I mean, that's... That, I can't even... I mean, to know the level of detail about somebody. I mean, He knows everything about you. And that's because He cares about you. He cares about you that much. He takes time to understand that. 
And the reality is, is he cares about you regardless of how you are, of who you are, what you've done. Matter of fact, it says right here in, in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exalt over you with loud singing. You know the God's in heaven exalting over you with loud singing? You know what it says in the New American Standard? It translates that he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Man, that's how he thinks about us. Maybe we can shout for God every now and then during the worship, sing out to him, amen? But he, he, he feels this way about us regardless of who you are, what you've done. You know, he, it reminds me of like when, uh, when you pull out, have anybody ever seen a diamond in the rough? Have you ever seen one? They look like a rock. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't know that it was a, that it was a yeah, so it looks like a, a, rough, a rough stone, or it's like a geode. We see geodes here at the gym and mineral show all the time. Like if you were walking down, if I was walking down the road and I saw a geode on the ground, I wouldn't know anything about it. And then they take them, they crack them open, and they're beautiful on the inside. But a, a rough diamond, you know, if we were to find one, we would just leave it there thinking it's a stone. But a master jeweler, they take one and they, they take off the rough edges and they polish it. And in the hands of a master jeweler, a diamond becomes just a beautiful thing. And the, the jeweler saw inside before it ever looked like that. He recognized its beauty. He recognized its, its flawlessness, its, its prettiness, its loveliness, even before he went to work on it. And God's like that with us. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care how rough you are because he can do a work inside of you that will change all of that. And all of us in this room, I I know that we're saved. He's already done that work. There was a, uh, I I hate using this this example because this is the very first year I was preaching. I was doing a similar message to this message actually and and there's an example of an old Nike commercial. And apparently, I, I don't even remember how I messed it up. I messed up the words, and I got made fun of by Monique for like a year and a half for using this. So I'm going to try to get through it straight right now. And uh, So don't make fun of me, okay? We're going to get through it. There was an old Nike commercial. And uh, it, it, it showed uh, all these different people that were flawed in some way. And it, I remember it showed the, the wrestler. You guys ever seen wrestlers with cauliflower ear when they, they get that? It was this wrestler who had cauliflower, and it was really bad. And then they showed a, a surfer that had had his leg, that's, what, that's where I messed up, his, his leg. I said something like his head or his, yeah, his leg. But he had a big old chunk out of his leg, but he was a surfer. And then there was just a, there was a bull rider who had been blinded um, by the bull. And you know, he had a patch over his eye. And it showed all these, these, um, these people that were, that were sports people and, and they had athletes and they had been hurt in some way. They had been scarred. They had been maimed in some way. And as they cycled through them, in the background, they were playing the song, You Are So Beautiful to Me. And I think that's how God sees us. He looks at us and, and we may be messed up and maimed and done dumb stuff, but, but God looks at us and says, Man, you're beautiful. And I know you look at me and you're like, There's no way anybody thinks your mama thinks you're beautiful, but God thinks I'm beautiful. And it doesn't matter what you think. Because he thinks I'm beautiful. And I side with him. Therefore, I'm beautiful. And then we see that he's shy. I mean, anybody's ever vision of God as kind of like this stoic God? That's another thing. If you, if you, if you, if you take your, your picture of God and base it on what you see on TV, God's this stoic God and never cracks. He's probably like Wayne. That's what people think. He just doesn't crack a smile or nothing. 
when you think something's awesome, you're like, I love you, Wayne. <laughs> but that's what people think God's like. But no, the scripture says that he's jumping up and down in heaven over you. He's rejoicing over you. He loves you more than you could imagine, so much that he can't even contain it. And the truth is that we are his joy. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You know the joy that was set before him? That was us. And he endured the cross, the shame, all of that stuff, because he loved you. And he thought you were worth it. You were valuable. And that was the price that he was willing to pay for you. We also know that God cares for us. We have to understand that God cares for us. And in 1 Peter 5, 6-7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hands of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Other translations say, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares for you. Isn't that awesome that God cares for you? The Creator of the entire universe cares about you. And it says, cast your cares to Him, because you know what? Put it in His hand, and He'll take care of it. If we'll just trust Him. And then in Psalms 86.15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's another one that I'm excited about, too. It says God's slow to anger. He's rejoicing in him for any slow to anger because I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that I've done to take him off. But you know what? He loves me regardless of the things that I've done. He loves you regardless of the things that you've done. And he's abounding in steadfast. Steadfast means, means solid. It means rock solid. It's never faltering. It's never wobbling. It's never shaking. Nothing can shake his love for you. When he says to cast your anxieties on him as well, do you guys know that, that uh, anxiety is a distress that's caused by the fear of loss? We're afraid we're going to lose something. You know, we get, we get stressed out or we get worried about things. We're afraid that if it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go, then the world's going to fall down around us. But the truth is, is that God cares for us and we should have no fear. We shouldn't worry about where the next paycheck's going to come or where, where the next grocery uh, money's going to come because God's going to take care of you and make sure that you're, that you're provided for. He's going to make sure that you have more than enough. And the truth is, is that a Christian's confidence should rest in the fact that Jesus is genuinely concerned for our welfare. The scripture says that God cares for you. Now, I'm not one to tell you that, that, that you're going to be rich, you're going to have it all, because the, the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says you're going to be taken care of and you're going to have everything. I do believe that if, you, if you'll be faithful with little, God will give you great amounts that you can be faithful with if you'll honor him in all that you do. But the, the truth is that if you love God and you put your trust in him, he's going to make sure that you have everything that you need and that you're never going to want. David said that I, I, am, I, am, I, am, I am old now, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Yeah, never seen them because God cares about us. Matthew 6, 25 to 26 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That was a rhetorical question. The answer was yes, you are more valuable than them. And if they're taken care of, God's going to take care of you. That was Matthew 6, 25 through 26. The truth is, is that God's love is abundant. It never runs out. 
It, it doesn't exhaust it. It doesn't mean that, that, be, that, that John got all God's love this week so that I can't get any more. He's got more than enough love for all of us. Even though John probably needs more love than some of us. I mean, we're praying for him. But, uh, but his love's abundance. It's inexhaustible. And unlike us as parents, God never gets fed up. Never going to put the foot down. Because he loves us. And he proved it. In Romans 5.8 it says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God didn't wait for us to get ourselves right with him before he was willing to pay the price for us. He wasn't saying, you know what, would you give them a little bit more time so they can figure it out? And as soon as they figure it out, then I'll take care of it. But it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. You know, he loved us so much that he, that he, he put his, his money where his mouth is, for lack of a better term. And, and John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he said, a greater love has no one than what I've done for you. I gave my life for you. I gave everything for you. And I look at that, and I'm blown away by that, because every time I think about that, I think about my son. And would I be willing to give my son's life for you in this room? And I love you guys, but thanks be to God I'm not God, because you guys would be in a bad kind of way if that was the case, because I don't think I could do it. I love my son. <laughs> I love him more than anything. And I, I, I couldn't give him. I mean, that would be, the, the, the thought boggles my mind. Yet God gave up his son for us. The truth is, is that when you give your life for somebody, it's not done flippantly. It's not done with, with you know, it's, it's not a spur of the moment thing. You know, and this is Jesus wasn't at the checkout line and was looking at the magazines. Like, oh, there's one, and grabbed it. I think I'll say, I'll just think I'll die. But this was something. I mean, he loved us so much. He 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 considered it and decided that we were worth it, and he gave his life for us. They say that uh, you're much more likely to give your life for a stranger than for somebody you know that you don't like, because. I mean, you you could be on you know next to a subway and see somebody falling in front of the, the the subway train, and if you don't know them, they could be a mass murderer for all you know. But you you would, you would do whatever you could to save them. But if it was somebody that you didn't like or somebody you knew did some terrible stuff, you might be like, eh, getting getting what's coming. Uh, uh, psychologically, we're much more likely to to go up, put ourselves in harm's way to save somebody that we don't know than somebody we do know that we don't like. Now keep that in mind when you realize that Jesus knew every single thing about you when he decided to give his life. He didn't do it because of what you did. He did it in spite of what you've done. How amazing is that? In spite of all the dumb stuff that I've done, he still considered me worthy. He still considered you worthy. Not because, but in spite of the things that we've done. One of the uh, 
D.L. Moody said that one of the troubles with, with when we talk about Christ died for everybody, the trouble with speaking like that is that when we don't take ownership of it, it can sometimes um, be taken as like this thing in general we don't think much of. And this is what he said. He says, the great trouble is that people take everything in general and do not take it to themselves. Suppose a man should say to me, Moody, there was a man in Europe who died last week and left $5 million to a certain individual. Well, I say, I don't doubt that. It's rather a common thing to happen. And I don't think anything more about it. But suppose he says, but he left the money to you. Then I pay attention. And I say, to me? Yes, he left it to you. And I become suddenly interested. I want to know all about it. So we are apt to think Christ died for sinners. He died for everybody, but he died for no one in particular. But when the truth comes to me that eternal life is mine and that all the glories of heaven are mine, I begin to be interested. Christ didn't die. Generally, he died for you. Take that to heart and what that actually means. And the truth is, is that God wants us all to come. He loves us all. And he wants us all to come to repentance. He wants us all to to be, I mean, he, he gave his life for every single one of us. But in order to receive that salvation, we have to be born again. In John 3, 3, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And when Nicodemus used this word, when he asked him, or the word used here for, for born again is, is to be born from above. And this is, if you remember, this is when Nicodemus asked him. And he just he couldn't understand, what do you mean born again? I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, it's like, I, I know how birthing works and the mechanics aren't going to work out for me to be born again. At least mom's not going to like it. And Nicodemus couldn't understand this. He was only thinking in the natural. He was only thinking of, of how, how this works. And he couldn't have to be born again. And just, yeah, you've got to be born again or born from above. And he didn't understand it. But what he's saying is, is that we have to be made new. And that's what happens when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And like we said before, it doesn't have anything to do with your performance. This is done because he loves you. And you just receive it as a free gift. When you are, you're born again. You're made brand new. You're born from above instead of from, from just your mom. And see, the reality is, is that we have to be made brand new. We can't remain the way that we are. And that's the problem with thinking that you can do it in your own, in your own uh, power. That's actually the, 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 big, the downfall of the law was, is that it was what you were doing for yourself. But it never changed you. It never made you brand new. And even in this life, when we try to live perfectly, we do all the right things, you can live the most perfect life and never mess up again. But all you're doing is putting a fresh coat of paint on, on, on a broken down car. And just like if, if I were to go on, on the, the, the internet and take my car that I have now and clean it up real nice and put a fresh coat of paint on it and make it look new, I can't sell it as brand new. Or if you go into a store, they're not allowed to sell you something that is not new as brand new because we recognize there's a difference. Something that is brand new, it has no past, it's never been used, it doesn't have any problems, it's, it's, it's just like it came from the factory. When you're born again, I want you to know it's just like you came from the factory. Brand new, like how when God made Adam with no past, no history. You can't slap a new coat of paint on something and call it new. 
That's, I mean, that's why we can't, you can't sell a car with a fresh coat of paint and has 350,000 miles is new. And that's why that even, you ever notice when you try to sell a car, they ask you for the mileage and there's no, there's no checkbox that says, but oh, it's a brand new motor with, they don't want the miles of the motor, right? They want the miles of the car. Because even if you put a brand new engine in it, it may run, run great, but the shocks and the fittings and the frame and everything else still got 350,000 miles on it. It's not new. Oh, but when you accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, you were made brand new. You were created, just like I said, from the factory. Just like Jesus made Adam. You have no past. You have no history. You have no failings. You have none of that stuff because that died with who you were. And in Christ, you are a new creation. Brand new. No past. And that's the reality. That's the, the reason why that that men, no, no man is going to hell for the sins that they've committed. Uh, that, that's not why they're going, they're, not, they're going to hell, because they haven't been made brand new. They haven't received the free gift of Christ. Provision has been made for every single man on this planet, every single woman on this planet, for salvation. But we have to receive that. And it's a rejection of that that, that causes people to go to hell. And it's... To be honest with you, that's the greatest thing in the world because we can tell people it has nothing to do with what you've done. Just receive, just believe, just accept it. And you're brand new. But it is a requirement. You have to be born again. Jesus said, I'm the, the, the only way to the Father. And he said that the, the, the road is, is narrow, or the doorway is narrow. It's through him. Salvation is only through him. But I thank God that when you get to the other side, the, the pathway is narrow, but once you get through, it opens right up. Amen. We've also been rec- reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we were reconciled shall we be saved by His life? We've been reconciled to, Jesus, to, to God through Jesus Christ. And to reconcile us, to settle, or to bring into agreement or harmony. And the, most, the best way to describe it would be like your, your bank register. You know, it needs to be in balance. You need to have uh, the, whatever, whatever you pay out, you have to pay back eventually. And, and we had some spiritual debt going on before Jesus. I mean, we, we were in the red big time. But God reconciled us to Himself by paying with His Son. And God was willing to die for you. He was so willing to die for you, to reconcile you, to clear out that register. Then he goes on to say, how much more now that we are reconciled should we be saved by his life? You know, if, if forgiveness of sins was enough, then the law would have been enough, right? We could be doing the sacrifice or whatever, get forgiven for our sins, and we'd be good. But the reality is, is we, that wasn't enough. We had to be born again. We had to be made brand new. Something inside of us had to change. So by his death, we are reconciled. But then by his life, we are saved. And the reality is, is there is a, uh, to be sure, there is a wrath to come. The scripture says that, that the, the, the sons of disobedience are, are storing up wrath for themselves one day. But that's not passed on to the believer. Because in John 5, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, who sent me as eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but is passed pass into death, into life, because we've been reconciled. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, and and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We've been delivered from God's wrath. First Thessalonians 5.9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know, Cliff, I didn't add this because of our discussions over the last few weekends. This has <laughs> been here before, I promise. <laughs> I was reading this, I'm like, oh man, he's going to think I'm calling him out. <laughs> we also find out that in Christ we are forgiven and free. Acts 13, 38-39, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. See, forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is a requirement, but freedom is what we needed. We needed to be set free from those chains, from the bondage of sin and death. And freedom made all the difference in the world. It says that, and by him everyone who believes, once again, that's, that's the only requirement that we believe we trust in him, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago when Paul was like, before he said, before I got saved, I wanted to do the right thing. I agreed with the law, but I couldn't because he was still in bondage. We've been freed from that now. And what this means is we're free from sin, to be clear, but we're not free to sin. There's a difference. We're still called to live a holy life. That God has never changed. The, the requirements of the law is, is, what, what God is, required, is what God requires for a holy life. Now thank God that that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Any failure where we don't live up to that, Jesus paid the penalty. But that doesn't change the fact that that's what the plumb line is. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. That's what Christ died so that we could live like that. That we could live holy. That we could live pure. Because before, we wanted to, but we couldn't. But now we can and in Jude one twenty four, it says that, that, that God is able to keep us from stumbling. If we would just keep our eyes on Him, you can live your life without ever sinning again. It's completely possible. But if you do sin, thank God that we have an advocate in the Father. Amen? It's not the end of the world if we do, but that, that's a, a, such a, a, an amazing blessing to me or such an amazing just an incredible thing to me that I can live without sinning because Christ has made me brand new and I'm not saying it's easy I'm not saying that you may not fall but if you do fall get back up righteous man falls seven times but he gets back up seven times get back up put your eyes back on Jesus and keep walking because the power that sin had over us has been broken by the finished work of Jesus Christ and that's what we believe here at Living Hope. That's, that's part of our culture. That's what we're going to teach people. That's what we're going to tell people, that God loves them, that He cares about them, and that you can be free in Him. And there's no more need for that guilt and shame. You're also complete in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's good news. We talked about this well, last week, right? That we got, there was a big giant hole inside of us, but in Him we've been made complete. Colossians 2, 10-12. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. The New American Standard says you have been made complete in Him. And in Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. You've been made complete or you've been filled to the top. Every, you know, it's like when you, when you take a, a cup and you fill it up with water. If you fill it to the top, there's not more room for anything else. Now, I guess water's kind of a bad example because you can still put something in there, but what happens if you do? The water's got to come out. You, you only, once you're filled with Jesus, there's no room for anything else. 
Because you're complete. You don't need anything else. You're whole. You're complete. And you want to know something that's great? It doesn't matter one lick about how you feel. Anybody ever not felt complete? I have. Guess what? It doesn't matter. You're still complete in Christ. Because the Word of God, the truth, trumps how you feel. Amen. Amen? You're also going to find that, that you are pure and perfect in Him. In Titus 2.14 it says, Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. In Hebrews 10.12-14 it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We've been perfected. Now, that's, see, this kind of stuff is where it's hard to get your head wrapped around. And people struggle with this. As a matter of fact, there are Christians who struggle with this. That they either haven't been taught this, even though it's what the Scripture says, or, or they just can't understand how this could be possible. Because too many times we look at ourselves and try to judge how things are going instead of looking at Jesus or what the Word of God says. Because there's going to be times you're not going to feel perfect. You're not going to feel pure. And you might do something that's not something a perfect person would do or a pure person would do. But that doesn't, that doesn't nullify what Christ Jesus has done inside of you. And that's what we just get back to. Just get back up. Put your eyes on Jesus and start walking forward again. You know, the greatest proof that you are pure, that you are righteous, that you are holy, is that Jesus Christ lives inside of you. Because if you weren't, He couldn't. In order for, Jesus, for Him to live inside, we have to be, have been made perfect or pure. Otherwise, we, we'd have, like we talked about the last couple of weeks, there'd be, a, there'd be a conflict, there'd be a clash. And, and we don't win that one, just so you know. And the truth is, is that we are, we are His possession, that we're not our own, that we were bought with a price. He gave everything that we could be His. And He, he, he made us pure for Himself. He, he wanted us for Himself. And in order to have fellowship with Him, we had to be pure. We had to be perfect because their darkness can't have fellowship with the light. And we've been made perfect. But so many times, we, people get this idea that in order to be perfect, you have to do perfect things. And if you don't do perfect things, then all of a sudden you're not perfect anymore. And there's this, this huge cart before the horse problem. We've been made perfect by Christ. And as a result, we live our lives the way that He asked us to live. Because He's done something inside of us. It's a natural result. I mean, how can you not live for God after He's done everything for you? It's a natural response inside of us to, in thankfulness and in love for what He's accomplished and done for us. And then what Christ did was the, the one-time single sacrifice for sin, and it was perfected us for all time. In the Old Testament, they had to offer sacrifices. I, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to live back then because they had the morning sacrifice, they had the evening sacrifice, they had the yearly sacrifice, they had multiple other sacrifices at different times. And I can't, There was a lot of animals dying back then. A lot of animals dying. But they did this to, to, 
to pay the penalty for their sin. And, and obviously it didn't last because they, by, by the evening time, they already had to have another one because the morning one had worn off. And then by the end of the year, they, they, they had their, their end of the year sacrifice and that was for the sins of the year. And then by the next morning, they had to do a morning sacrifice because apparently that one had wore off already. And I'm, I'm making light of it. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But the truth is, is those, those sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats, could never make right man. But Jesus came, one sacrifice for all time. He did it once. And we don't have to do another one tomorrow. We were just talking about yesterday in, in Hebrews, it says that, that there is no longer a sacrifice for sins. Because Jesus was it. He's the only one. It didn't need to happen again. Amen? And these are are past, present, and future sins. There are some people that think that, oh, when you get saved, all your sins are forgiven, but after that, you know, they're not covered anymore. Which doesn't make sense to me, because if you think about it, when Jesus died, all of your sins were future sins. And that's when the price was paid. In Romans 6.23, we come to the understanding that salvation is a free, completely free gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad you don't have to earn it or pay for it in some way? I mean, I think about like when you work for, for uh, um, well, I think about when I was in the army, when, when I joined, I was in the reserves for, for uh, I think it was four, four years in regular reserves and four years in the inactive buddy reserve. And, uh, but being in the reservists, in order to be counted uh, to get some of the full-time benefits, you have to be active duty for at least six months and one, one block. Otherwise, you don't qual- like I don't qualify for VA loans and all that stuff because I was only active duty for like five months and 28 days or something like that. I just missed it. With my basic training in AIT, I was just shy of six months, so I don't qualify for any of those benefits. And can you imagine if we had to earn it and you were that person that was one day off from your benefits? Well, thank God, it's a free gift. We don't have to earn it. And the reality is, is if we tried to earn it, none of us would make it anyway. We'd all be at least one day off. And Romans 3.21-24 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. To the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We learn that one, we're all messed up, we all fall short, but the gift of God is what makes us whole. And it's free. Amen. And I love that God didn't lower his standards to bring everybody in. He said, you know what, the wages of sin is death. Justice must be done. And he could have just, you know, he's God, he had the prerogative if he wanted to, he could have said, you know what, we're just going to forget about it. I'm just going to turn a blind eye. But he didn't. He said, you know what, the, the wages of sin is death. The price has to be paid. That's why Jesus said that, that not one letter or one stroke of the law will be, will be done away with because it was all fulfilled in him. The law said that, that, that death was required and he died for us. He didn't lower his standards. And then he gave us a brand new life. And the righteousness of God is manifest in us. And there's, God is no respecter of persons. There's no distinction. Isn't that good news? No respecter of person. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're young or you're old. 
doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you know. Well, it does matter who you know. But Jesus is the only one you got to know, and we can all know him. Amen? And while we're on this free gift, the only thing about the gift is that we have to receive it. And there are some um, uh, denominations that believe differently, that believe that, that uh, oh no, that even, even faith would be considered work. So, so God picks out who's going to be saved and they're saved and, and those who aren't saved aren't saved. And it's all up to God. But the truth is, because is, they, they say that, no, no, salvation is by grace and if, if you have to have faith, if you have to receive it, that's, that's some form of works. Which is silly to me because if, if I offered you, if I said, you know what, I, I have $20 in my wallet and I said, I'm going to give it to you. It's yours. All you got to do is come get it. It's yours. That, the $20 in my wallet is whoever I said it was, right? <laughs> but, yeah, so, so I say I gave it to Tony and she came up and got it from me. Because she had to walk from her chair, would anybody of you think that was anything other than a free gift? Or that she somehow paid for it with the walk to the front of the room? And the same thing is with the gift of salvation. We believe and we receive. We confess with our mouth and we believe with our hearts and we receive His salvation. And it's a gift. And that, you're not earning it by somehow placing your trust in God. You're just receiving that gift that's already, that's already given to you. And the reason why it's a free gift is... Told in Romans 11, 5 through 6, it said too, at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, we're not supposed to, that's another reason too, is that we can't go to, can never stand before God and say, I, I don't need that. I took care of it myself. Or we can't boast. I mean, can you imagine like, what heaven would be like if, if, if you had your earn your way in? People would be looking, down, looking at disdain to other people. People, it's like when, when people are in the workforce and somebody makes more money than the other person and they get all upset because they think they're worth because everybody's looking at themselves. They think that they're more valuable because of the things they do or these different things. But God says, you know what? Not a single person here could make it on their own. And I'm not even going to let that be an opportunity because then you would just get to, well, these people got in by the grace of God, but I earned it. I did it by living good enough. God doesn't want a bunch of people with an ego in heaven. He says that if if it was on the basis of what we do, the basis of works, it wouldn't even be grace anymore. Because it wouldn't be because grace is everything that that God accomplished in Jesus Christ, and if you could do it on your own, you wouldn't even need Jesus. That's why it's not grace anymore. I thank God that we don't have a cause to boast. You know, and it's uh, I sometimes get worried about people when they have this attitude that you know they want it to be all on their own. Uh, accord, you know, they, they figure they're going to stand before God and God's going to bust out his scale and if good weighs more than bad, then everything's going to be okay. And they want to do it on their own. And I'm so glad that that's not the case. And I wish they would understand that, man, why do you want to go through so much trouble? I mean, even if what you were saying is true, why would you want to take that chance when you can just get it for free? 
You know, I thank God that we don't have a cause to boast or a reason to. I'm going to go ahead and end here. The only thing to receive that free gift is to believe. In Acts 8, 36 through 37, it says, As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Acts 16, 30 through 31, it says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your house. Salvation is such a simple thing. I think God made it simple so people like me can understand it. But it's simple. Trust me, and I'll take care of you. Trust me, and I'll take. I'll make. I'll make sure you get through. Put your faith in Him, and and we see it time and time in the Scriptures. What must I do to believe? Believe in the Lord Jesus. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Scripture says that you you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. And it's a free gift. That's how we receive it. And it's so simple, yet we try to make it so complicated. And we try to mix other stuff in. But here at Living Hope Flame Church, this is what we believe. It's, it's simple. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You just trust Him. And that's the, as we talk about, this is the culture of who we are. This is what we're going to teach. This is what we're going to share. And this is how we're going to minister to the lost. Because we're no different than anybody else out there. That's who we are as a people. We're people saved by grace. Not, we didn't earn it ourselves. And we're going to tell people about that free gift. And we're going to help them to understand the best we can. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes so they might receive it. That they can come into the fold with us. That's it. That's the first part. We are a people saved by grace here at Living Hope Family Church. Let's go and stand to our feet.